I mean, look at a lot of people with African descent. I mean, think about colonialism and, and slave trade and, you know, how Africa was so disrupted by colonizers and imperialists and, you know, those different systems in place mm-hmm. that divided a people and took a people and spread them across the world. And then you look at how Western civilization um, stripped culture and heritage from these people. So you look at mm-hmm. many African Americans and they can't tell you, you know, the nature of their their descent. They can't tell you what what uh, countries or or you know people they would come mm-hmm. from or mm-hmm. be associated with. And so the identity that many of us have is just it's just black and you know recognizing that that blackness comes from Africa, but because it's been so stripped down and so Mm -hmm. bastardized because of colonization um, and slavery and imperialism, it is, you can't really just say, well, cool, I belong to this or I belong to this. The thing that you have, the overarching umbrella is Africa. Mm -hmm. You descend from there. No matter where we are, no matter what site we have, we descend from Africa. Okay. Okay. So that makes sense as well. Um, Next, you know, this isn't a game show. Also, speaking of game show, um, to anyone who hasn't heard, we are deeply saddened by Alex Trebek's passing. Uh, It's a tragedy. He's been fighting cancer for a long time. I remember seeing an interview with him a few years back talking about his, his fight. And uh, he wasn't the youngest man, but I'm I'm sure we had, we would have appreciated another decade or two. Uh, nonetheless, let's get back into Pan-Africanism. R.I.P. Alex Trebek. This one's for you. So, thinking of that, I would say something like, so I imagine a very specific case, right? And you you've you've heard of my encounters with my uh, associates from like high school and their parents, the associates usually aren't a problem. Their parents are usually always out of pocket. So we'll say something like we're hanging out, you know, just a few black brown kids all around, you know, just a diaspora of our own. And then we'll link up with one of the um, alabaster brethren and We'll be like, oh, that's a cool, that's a cool shirt, man. Where's that from? Ah, oh, this is um, this is a dashiki, specifically Wolof pattern. They go like, what's Wolof? And then you explain, oh, since most slaves were taken from West Africa, we can make the assumption that we fall within a few groups of people, at least majority of our DNA, right? Some some of us might have, you know, actually all of us will have if we were of American slaves, we'll have descent from other places as well. But you can rest assured that you have either Wolof, Akan, also Fante Chui, um, Mandinka, Maneka, Mali, like these West African groups, the largest groups who were traded Portuguese, English, French, what have you, Dutch. But you could say this. However, right, whenever you do say this, the associate, their uh, their mother 
walks by um, to one of my friends and I talking. And she goes like, ah, what do you know about that? You, you guys are just boys from blank county in Georgia. And it's like, oh, well, uh, you guys talk all the time about how you're, how you're, how you're Irish. That's cute. However, I make an affirmation. My people were stolen from West Africa, regardless where my parents were born. I am still of African descent. I can wear African clothing and it is my right to not have someone attest otherwise to me, you know, to sort of, I overuse this word, but placate my existence by saying, ah, but you're just from blank County for anyone who's listening. We're not doxing ourselves. Okay. But yeah, I think about, you know, yeah, I've heard that uh, particular line of dialogue why do you feel the need to wear african clothing especially if you're not you know if you're not directly african right if you weren't born in africa why do you feel the need to wear dashikis or or what have you right Mm -hmm. i always think you know yeah no it's a cultural connection it is a connection to this place that uh that connects us to uh, like it's a piece of clothing that connects us to our cultural heritage you know mm-hmm. no, no matter how familiar we may be with it because we can only be this so familiar you know because records weren't kept um and so don't police people's clothing as long as it's not offensive <laughs> but um you know no i think i think we as a people are definitely um and we shouldn't have to defend um us wearing our, our 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 you know culture you know we shouldn't have to defend why we're wearing something that connects us to this culture mm-hmm. now if if i see a white person wearing a oh clan robe oh, like, oh, oh, oh. like this is part of my southern culture i see them wearing a confederate uh, a confederate uniform they're like this is my white this is my white see, culture see that's not different that's particularly like, offensive keep it not even to that extent, though, I I was thinking whenever you're saying, you know, we, we can wear these things as a part of our culture, whether or not we are actually from the specific mm-hmm. community that created it. You know, we yeah. may not have been comrades back in the old days. Certainly, there is some problems with the diaspora today. You have West Africans, East Africans coming to America and having a bit of issue with people thinking that they're African-American because there's a bit of exceptionalism there. Uh, we, you know, whether it be, we're not the ones that were taken. We were, we were stronger. We fought back or, um, you know, things like this, or we, we chose to come here. We weren't forced to come here. So we, we can appreciate it. But even, even beyond, you know, except even beyond exceptionalism, again, like a model minority, right. You think about, It, there is this kind of cultural creation of us versus them, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, going back to the why African Americans wear dashikis, 
we're not quote unquote authentically African. Mm. You know, people can discount to the extent because as far as they're concerned, you were born in Georgia. You don't uh, indeed have the same claim indeed. to it. And so then when you look at these people that, you know, first generation um over here or literally immigrated over here and they feel that their connection is kind of being appropriated. Um but I also think about how, you know, the education as far as American slavery, because I think you look at a lot of adult age um, Africans that immigrate over here, or they do education as far as American slavery can come from a can come from a different stance, right? Mm-hmm. At that point, mm-hmm. when you come over, you're not as well. In some cases, I don't want to umbrella, but in some cases, you know, you may not be as familiar. Um, I've heard various accounts of people saying they're not super familiar with the U.S.'s. Um, history of slavery, you know, they have mm-hmm. their own knowledge, mm-hmm. but only extensive so far, and so you know the way to kind of, I guess, distance yourself absolutely history, and um, maybe you don't want to like, you don't want to join yourself with somebody else's pain, and that's not your pain in particular, but mm-hmm. also you know, I don't know, there's like, there's a dissonance, I guess yeah, for for certain and then equally so we have we have you know a lot of us who are you know pan-africanists so to speak who don't necessarily hate the place that was colonized and that we were born into without a choice you know but there's always that what if and then people will say, what if it's a shithole? It's terrible. And it's like, no, no, no. What if, if slavery didn't happen, the what if goes to, you know, Europe did, for lack of a better term, rape Africa, the Arab world, splitting up of the, of the states, the caliphates, what have you, removing the Faisals from power, establishing the Sauds. Um, you know, I'm not trying to get assassinated. However, we, this is not just conjecture or, you know, conspiracy theories. These are histories, right? Even, even colonizers have written about them. So we know them to be true in Central Africa now, right? Even though Europe may establish the system of plundering resources, if you ever go to Central or West Africa and you see mines, a lot of the mines some of your workers speak Mandarin because many of the facilities are run by either private corporations from China or um, subsidiaries of the Chinese government itself. And then you think, oh, Apple, how are we getting the lithium from a war-torn country, allegedly, to the facility where an iPhone's being made? It just doesn't Oh, you contact a warlord and you think they're going to give you the best price. That's not how this happens. No, there are systems established there in order to make it happen. I, mean, but, I think there's just this misunderstanding. I mean, misunderstanding and I want to say... Debrutalized um, mm-hmm. representation of what colonization did, right? 
you know, especially when you look at um, the controlling Western thought and this idea that civilization was brought over there. And, you know, I think back to our conversation with, um, with Elsie, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that particular line of rhetoric, kill the savage, save the man. Oh, yeah. Right? You're bringing culture to Africa. You're getting rid of these these uh, tribal beliefs. You're getting rid of you're, you're destroying the culture to preserve Western culture and to preserve Western interests. Oh, right? oh, absolutely. I, I definitely hear you. And we're going to continue this after the commercial break. But before we go to establish a point, um, you know, I, I am by no means anything passing. Right. I can't I can't casually just go up and be like, I'm white today. Right. But there have been times whenever I've pulled distant relatives who I do know, who may, uh, you know, I might, I have the privilege as well of learning multiple languages. So I might just be like, cool, 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 cool. So grandmother, great grandmother, yo, let's just say I'm black, but I'm a different kind of black so that people don't try to ask me questions. Or let's say I'm a different kind of black so that they're like, oh, really? Explain. And then that's it. That's the only conversation I have to talk to them. Pretend like I barely speak English and keep it moving. I remember doing this all the time. It is convenient. However, it is detrimental to what it means to be Pan-African. Um, because obviously, if we are in this globalist African Union, and we can talk about the African Union shortly, but it doesn't help that you know being speaking several colonizer languages along with some african languages if i choose to use those colonizer languages for my own benefit and then within the same conversation uh debase the colonial system whenever it enabled me to be able to pick and choose when i can be uh colonial and not right i'll never have the same power as a, a colonizer in any colony however i do have the distinct privilege i can't i don't know if i could call it a privilege either because i it is an active process to learn things so that you have this ability right in in a way right right leaning with pan-africanism sometimes we're being dishonest not only with ourselves but with others i suppose i should have said that in the other way not only with others but with ourselves saying oh yes i am this way and then as soon as someone like upsets you or makes you feel differently then you want to use the same systems that you talked about bringing us together against them um so like oh yeah we're all in this together Ah, did you, did you hear about what Ravon did? Yo, that that insert in words, other slurs. Come on, he's not even black. Khalid, so we we mentioned earlier. I, my energy sounds like it's changed a lot since we left off. However, it 
it has only been the span of time between the break. I don't know what happened. Uh, maybe my maybe I should check my cosign app. JK, co-star, co-star. It's, it shows I don't actually use it. I downloaded it for a reason, nonetheless. So we talk about this this facsimile of a person, right? Not a real person, Ravon who does some things to where his brothers in in obsidian right the obsidian order oh my God. His, his brothers in basalt his uh his brothers in mahogany ebony his black brothers and sisters in non-binary okay here we go <laughs> i was about to nah, mention nah, you were taking too long. other genders <laughs> I just had to get through all the the color schemes that I wanted. Like non-binaries, is that is that too? I I would say non-binary and gender fluid. No, like I'm like I said, brothers, sisters, and non-binary. But is is non-binary too too informal? Non-binary. I I I think I think I I think non-binary is is whole encompassing. I would say siblings of all genders. That's that's much cleaner. I just didn't want to <laughs> okay, but I, I, you're you're getting you're getting at the the, the black card. Uh, yeah, the the revoking of the black card and how that ties into Pan Africanism. Okay, um, well, you know, I I am not one for revoking one's black card because I don't think that. Uh, Blackness is not monolithic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People express their blackness in different ways, and you know, there's also, you know, understanding that the way people have been cultured um, within society is different. You know that the the exposure to different things, you know, varies from person to person, from group to group. Um, you know, you have these things like. You have these socioeconomic factors that can divide people and create a separation and experience. And so, you know, I don't think it's fair to revoke somebody's black card, you know, just because their experiences don't line up with yours. Or, now, mind you, I am not, uh, I, 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 am, I am left, you know, I fall to the left. But, you know, I think even the revoking it because of, because of politics is still pretty reductive, right? Because mm-hmm. just throwing away the problem is not conducive. Um, now, mind you, I have more energy for talking to black conservatives than I do with white racists just because my thought process is, at least for a big number of um, black conservatives, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of that mindset is like, a lot of their mindset, as far as blackness is concerned, is from this place of wanting better for the black community, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, do I think they're going about it the right way? No, nah, but their heart's in the right place, you know, or I, I believe it is. Um, but I don't think, I don't think there's a, I don't think you should ever just throw away somebody from the black community just because, you know, their experiences vary. Um, I think, okay. you know, we're connected by this thing and we cannot let systems of oppression and things that are forced assimilation 
to, you know, cause us to say, nah, that's not our problem. Um, they're not, hmm. they're not part of, they're not, they're not black, you know? Okay. They're not black enough for us as a community. So, so you, what I'm hearing is whether you're Kanye West, St. Augustine, a hippo as a Pan-African nation, right? Whether we're go back from back, uh, whether we're saints or we're Rigby from the regular show, we, we are all Pan-African and we can't be removed. The, 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 the raccoon, Akri, the, ra the raccoon is from Pan-African. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, Jesus. But no, yes, because we are, because we are of African descent, we can't just, it's a thing that connects us, you know, and we have our disagreements, some of them fundamental. Um, we cannot just throw people away. And I'd like to extend this to, you know, our self-proclaimed Pan-Africanists that exclude LGBTQIA+. Oh, oh. When I think about Pan-Africanists that are like, yeah, no, nah, I'm for all people of African descent, uh, but uh, not the gay ones, not the trans ones. Though we're not really fighting for them. You look Yo. at uh, some of our people that are, um, you know, actively um, fighting or vocalizing on behalf of black rights and, you know, thinking about Black Lives Matter and how many black men um, are strong vocal advocates mm -hmm, for this movement, mm -hmm. but their advocacy, the buck stops at, at black cisgendered men or black cisgendered women. And even still, we see that we're not really out here. Um, we're not out here as vocal, as active for our black women. And we're darn sure not vocal or active for black trans people. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I think you're for black people. I'm for black people. That is, that's all black people. All of it. All, mm -hmm. all shades of black people. All gender identities of black people. All sexual, all, all black people with different sexual orientations. We're all black. We're all people. You know, and we don't get to just throw away the parts that we don't like. And I'll, I'll take you one further. Right. There's a there's a concept among birthers, right? People who are born on the African continent who will say being gay, um, any any form of sexuality outside of homosexuality, any gender outside of the binary is of Western assumption. And, you know, I, I obviously have problems with this. I think of Franz Fanon who who problematically said things along the line of the white man being afeared of the black man from taking his woman shows his homosexuality as he does not care for the white woman going for the black man he fears that in going for the black man the white woman has disembarked her shade of like covering his homosexuality. That's wholly problematic. Don't get me wrong. That is a problem. That is a problem. More so in modern times, we have African nations. We have America moving away, giving a little so that people don't take a lot. You know, you can, you can 
have civil unions. You can't get married, but you can have civil unions. If your partner dies, you can have his stuff, her stuff, their stuff, um, what have you. And now we have, you know, largely funded by Christian evangelicals from America, from the West, uh, creating laws and statutes that would make it punishable by execution to not be cisgender heterosexual in more than one African nation. Um, that being said, these laws are always in flux. So we don't want to directly state a country. And then two weeks later, it turns out that they no longer have it. And then another country, which we praise for not having these kinds of laws, comes up with it. You know, um, so that's definitely a problem. Uh, and I'm not saying that's a problem so that, oh, it's a problem. We'll solve it later. Let's get over it. No, it's something we have to actively address each and every day. Whenever we're going on these mission trips, if people can't see, there are scare quotes in the air. But whenever people are going on mission trips, oh, they're, they're starving, they're poor, right outside of Nairobi, an industrialized city, building buildings that aren't to the code to survive in Kenya. Um, but their money will go to the community so they deconstruct the buildings and rebuild them. But no, no, no. These American Christians, Westerners in general, come back and they go like, oh, I helped so much. But then they neglected to go in, right? They, they say they're allies of um, intersectional communities, yet they refuse to acknowledge the fact that they were just in a country provided to that country's economy that would have many people that they would say are their friends executed on the spot. Okay, well, I first think of the word performative because then I think about, you know, it's, um, it's a more proper definition that is more positive than the um, general um, mainstream performative. I'm going to say phony and for show, you know? Phony and for show kind of goodwill towards towards uh, black people, right? Because, yeah, it's, it, it looks good. It's trendy to go on missions, trips, and take pictures and be detrimental to the stabilization of these nations and these people. Um, but, you know, it, it once again, it's, it's, it's colonial. It's colonial practices. You're going mm -hmm. there, not, and, you know, I don't want to umbrella but you know i'm just going to say for the sake of the majority right it's going over there trying to spread the love of christ trying to spread the love of jesus trying to spread christianity to people that they think need it right people that they think need it the most and you know with it comes with disregard for their culture you look at a lot of these people that go on missions trips and it's like we're not really interested in learning the language or really meeting them where they are or having conversations about you know what ails mm -hmm. these people? Oh yeah, spreading Jesus, and so mm -hmm. you know, pushing that colonial thought. Um, mm -hmm. And I think even further um, about this kind of um, these thought processes, like especially like with a lot of these groups, right? Because you look at a lot of these people, and you look at their black friends, right? Mm -hmm. Them 
fall, you know, like there's this tokenism. Um, just trying to pull it um, to this idea about um, disassociation. Um, I yeah, yeah. Right? And so they tokenize these people and come to just this veiled language of, well, you're not like these other black people. You know, mm. you're, you're one of the good ones. One of the good ones. Uh, I'm gonna out myself. Uh oh. I think I think about um, Joe Biden um, and his statement about Obama. Oh. Um, Obama being, you know, the first mainstream, uh, articulate, intelligent black person. You know. Oh. Um, and you know, I think about how they put there's this it's veiled racism. Um, and, you know, they, they are stripping away um, these things that they would traditionally associate with the blackness, right? Like, I think about the pejorative term Oreo, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Black on the outside, white on the inside. Franz Fanon, once again, black skin, white mask. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it creates yeah. a, and, you know, I know that it can be harmful, right? Because then you have you have black people um, that have been you know kind of indoctrinated into this mindset, this mindset of well maybe I don't, and that's reinforced that maybe I don't you know align too much with blackness, and then you get into a community of black people, mm-hmm. um, and it's reinforced with them, right? And so then you begin to disassociate with blackness. Um, you know, I think about just how harmful that is, you know, because all that does is further push away these people. And once again, we're all we're all black and we need to stay together because shit, what else do we have? Mm-hmm. 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 I definitely. Oh, keep going. No, no, no. Go, go for it. So I think about, you know, the things that are associated with um, quote-unquote Oreos, right? And there's this inherent elitist mindset, right? To qualify as an Oreo, you look at uh, how intelligent one is, how articulate mm. one is, you know, uh, their, their taste. Right, you don't, you don't really like hip hop, do you? Huh? You like oh. rock music? That's that's a traditionally white thing. Uh, you're 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 doing pretty well in our uh, in class. That's a traditionally white thing. And you know, mm-hmm. I think about this this cultural mindset of whiteness being associated with everything positive. Yeah. Being positively reinforced, um, and just how negatively. Black people or positions of representation of black people have been presented within the media, right? Mm-hmm. Within culture, within um, the hegemony, like the within the white hegemony and that controlling thought, you know, and it does not help um, the case mm-hmm. at all to just kind of write these people off, you know, just to be like, well, they're not black. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome to black card, so to speak. Absolutely. And before I want to head back to missions in one one moment, but I recall, oh, I I cannot 
I, I feel I neglected to learn um, her name, but I do believe she was a psychologist or a sociologist who said it is not racist to say that black students learn differently. It is also not um, without racism that they learn differently. The reason why they learn differently is because the system's established to tell them, hey, stop talking so much. Why are you so energetic? You have ADHD are because they don't match the school with the home life, with the area that they live, and they expect the children who happen to be African, of African descent, of different minority descents, to come to school and to think the same exact way as the children. You get the kids in school at what, age six, five, six, something like that, that's whenever it starts. That's, that's a whole five years developed in completely different realities. So it's, she was saying that black students learn differently from white students, not because they're black, but because of the socialization that occurred before they came to school and during school. The, the systems that say, oh, you're a good student. You know, the, the, the white kids around, oh, an Oreo. Oh, my dad says he likes you because you're a, you're a, you're a good young man or, you know, things like this. So it, I, I do at times have problems whenever people are, especially our allies are too liberal, if that makes any sense, right? Somebody goes like, well, you know, um, historically speaking or sociologically speaking, we're not saying biologically speaking, black people do have a tendency in school to learn differently from white students. This is not a, a statement based on someone's race as much as it as their socialization, as said previously, and how their life is outside of school, right? It just happens that it is most frequently exemplified by black students. Obviously, there are students of all ethnicities who would fall into the these forms of as teachers and the authority would say acting out in school but that's not because of their race it's easy for a sociologist to make a generalization i think of as well the blue-eyed brown-eyed experiment you know trying to explain uh racism to a group of white kids is not going to help until you show them what prejudice can do to a person and in only one day, uh, in only like one session, you have adults who are doing this uh, experiment weeping. They're like, this isn't right. And then saying, well, that's what racism is like. And then they still manage to have the cognitive dissonance, the mental gymnastics to say, no, 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 no. I still don't, I still don't buy it. I mean, that, man, that was apparent with, uh, with George Floyd. Was mm -hmm. it not? You had, oh, yeah. <laughs> you had a, you know, a vocal group of people that were like, no, that was awful. And we can all agree that that was terrible. Um, you know, and they'll, they'll, they'll circle back to, you know, yeah, nobody should ever be subjected to that. And then there's still the divide 
but that could happen to anybody. Racism is not real. And because Joe Biden's president, racism is over. And, and yep, 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 yep. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I had to make several uh, posts on social media. I've started writing a new thesis, a new, a new, it might be a book uh, soon come, but that, you know, I always talk about this and we've talked about this on the podcast has to be more than eight dozen times. I do mean almost a hundred times. We have said that whenever people fight for something and then they get it, they're like, oh, we got it. We can calm down. No, no, no. In the 1960s fighting for civil rights, we got it. The Black Panthers kept pushing. The Muslim Brotherhood kept pushing. And that's why the FBI cracked down. Like, but we gave them what they wanted. Why are they still pushing? Because historically, you give a little so they don't take a lot. You know, the king uh, to oh the 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 so bloodful revolution on in both America expiring the French Revolution. You ask for a little, you get a little bit, but not everything that you wanted. So you're like, cool, I'll I'll take everything. You didn't give me anything. I'll take every damn thing possible. And then you got revolution. That's what governments and and authoritative bodies have realized. They're like, okay, okay, they're asking for something. We got to give it to them. No, no conditions. We just got to give it to them. But we're going to give them exactly what they asked for. Exactly what they asked for. Equal treatment under the law. And that means if we have prejudiced bodies inside of the law force, so be it that's equal treatment because everybody has to suffer through prejudice. Good luck. Mm. You know, but before we continue on this, because I'm, I'm feeling this going on for a long point that needs to be addressed. Uh, we did say earlier, um, Khalid, you mentioned people go on mission trips and don't learn the language. I would say for the majority that's true. However, there are, there are some individuals who do learn the language and those are of course our um, Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, who have their own problematic views about how black people arose. <laughs> and uh, we, you know, I would say leave it at that so you could look it up, but this is in defense of humanity. We're gonna, we're gonna air out all the details. And uh, basically, <laughs> Disclaimer, the um, the modern, yeah, Mormon, yeah, the modern Mormon Church does not does not does not believe in this in doctrine has been rescinded. Yeah, I I think of it more of an amendment, right? It's still there. They just overruled it. Supreme Court cases that that said slavery were okay are still on the books. It's just that precedent was overturned by something that succeeded this is still whether it's written or not in any manuscript this is still doctrine that some attest in latter-day saints you know i i like to defend people because once again in defense of humanity but i will not just allow someone to say well that was the old times no 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 no, no. people knew things were wrong since the dawn of consciousness don't play games with me. Otherwise, we would have never developed laws 
Um, that being said, Mormons, just to address it, in, okay, so they're, you know, you could get deeper whenever you get into the multi-level marketing scheme known as Latter-day Saints, but, and Christianity. Hey, don't come for me. But going with it, you can enter the realms of the afterlife, right? We live right now on the terrestrial plane. That's earth. Um, other things that we can interact with directly. Then we have the celestial plane, which is heaven, all high, where you may or may not be granted your own world that I'm not going to discuss deep, deep um, doctrine, uh, the orthodoxy of Mormonism. However, I can say there's also the telestial, which is the place right above earth where you can go if you're not Mormon, but you're a good person. That being said, this is where black people come into play. Brown people of all kind, except for indigenous populations of North America, who, right, right, you have you have different groups. You have Nephites, and I, that's all. I'm not going to label all of them. I'm not going to do all of it. Um, but this is taking a really long time. Basically, white people sided with God in the battle for heaven and earth. Uh, demons sided with Satan or the devil, uh, Shaitan, Lucifer, bringer of light, and brown people, black people, not indigenous people, once again, because they're the ones who hit away the golden tablets for joseph smith but black people in particular are not bad people they're just untrustworthy because they decided not to choose a side they stood in the corner and watched everyone battle all the souls and angels of heaven fight the good fight or fight against god so at least they made a decision you got cast away as a demon you made your choice cool cool can't respect you for it but you made your choice black people didn't make a choice and therein lies perhaps you know some old justification right even though a mormon may not have owned slaves right though some of them did that could come to justification well you know this is part of your punishment you got the the mark you got the the dark skin as your mark to show that you your people didn't side with god and you you are left in bondage as your penance on earth but once you die if you're a good person and you obey all the rules of the law then you may be able to make it to the celestial plane right under the celestial plane so you'll be able to see us having a good time but at least you're not in bondage anymore on the terrestrial plane and that is mormonism in a nutshell once again not current practices. However, that's still on the books. So you can't, you can't just throw it away, I guess. It's, it, it happened. It happened, and it's, it's there. You know. Um, but we can continue where you were going there, Khalid, before I decided to introduce Mormonism into the chat. <laughs> Um, no, I think I'm, I might I might gear it just a little bit of a different way. Um, mm -hmm. But I think about, actually, it's, it's actually a good word. Um, because I guess when you think about 
you know, saying African-Americans just think about this group identity, right? I mean, group identification. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about the colonial mindset um, that kept uh, the black people oppressed um, and brought in slavery, um, kept them segregated and grouped them all within this mindset that, you know, all black people are the same, uh, you know. Um, yeah, no, I think about group identification. I also think about how now, now that there is this unified or push for unified thought um, and, you know, the strength of this group identification, there is this uh, talking point of, well, why must black people uh, group identify themselves? Wouldn't mm-hmm. it be better for us just to, you know, to think individually and think about each other as individuals? And, you know, I think about just how racially coded that is, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. It's like, you as an individual don't have to be black. You don't have to align yourself with this. You as an individual can be, uh, it, it lends the person talking like this a, um, a form of colorblindness. Yeah, I don't see color. I I see people. I I you know my own individual identity. I may be an identitarian. <laughs> and you know, I think about I think about that particular you know line of rhetoric, and you know, with being colorblind, and you know, the fault of racism is seeing difference as a means to divide. Mm. difference as a means to demean and oppress and hold different groups as superior, right? Yeah. Um, it is okay to see color and mm-hmm. embrace the differences and celebrate them, you know? That's that's the beauty of cultural differences. You know? Absolutely. Like, nobody is the same. Nobody is created the same. Nobody has the same experiences. And, you know, to be able to celebrate be able to celebrate those differences and embrace them. But Khalid, if we all look the same, we won't have a problem because we'll all think the same, we'll all be the same, and we'll have one ruler who looks like us, and everything will be good as long as we can make all the people who don't look and sound like us leave. That's all we need. And what if they don't leave? Then we'll handle them, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I say to that, they might as well go on ahead and sing hail. Hey. Well well you you say this but but look at uh look at Rwanda, right? Largely because of Eurocentric view. Hey, you you're not gonna be accepted in our society, but look at your features, you look more like us than you look like them. Take them out, right? Not okay. A million more than a million people died in less than one year. Right? We had we had to have you know, for what people say about white people, right? Don't get me wrong. America, a lot of a lot of the countries, whenever the UN goes like, ah, this situation is, we, we might not be able to handle it alone. Uh, yo, it was like, it was like all the phone lines went dead. Everyone dipped. And then you had a few good men, right? And women who stayed there. Hotel Rwanda, based on a true story of, locking down people in the basements of hotels keeping them in like capital buildings and whatnot and then who did you have there to protect 
Africans from other Africans. You had General Dallaire, uh, um, Dutch Canadian, French Canadian, uh, who was there, a, a UN general, uh, former Canadian general and peacekeeper, who, you know, for what we say about police in America, what I will give the UN peacekeepers, for the most part, there are some bad ones, right? You get power and you've never had it before, um, then you could, which is why it usually takes a person who is in a high status, right, in their home nation to come over and then to choose to go on a humanitarian mission in a similar role to be the good person. Whereas if you have like, just hire some kid off the street because he speaks 15 languages and then hand him a gun and say, hey, protect these people. He, he's probably going to be doing things that he shouldn't be doing, right? Absolutely. So General Dallaire was like, hey, I can't make you stay because we technically pulled out, but I am not leaving these people to die alone. I might not be able to protect them, but I will die before I let some insurgents come in here and kill innocent people. So I can say that, right, about the white savior complex. I don't like it. However, because the systems and institutions have established um, the ability for um, European looking individuals to be quickly disseminated places, it has helped in a few global conflicts. Why did that conflict arise originally? Because of French slash Belgian exceptionalism and the features that look more uh, Franco-Belgian. That's why it arose. So some might say, I might say, if they were never there in the first place, then Dallaire would not have had to be there along with others to uh, solve the problems that people who kind of look like him cause. Is he at fault? Are any of them who were the peacekeepers in that moment at fault? Predominantly, no. But the reason that we have to have a UN peacekeeping force or military of any kind is largely due to us causing a problem and then trying to solve it with by the same means that we cause the problems. That being said, uh, please continue. We, we can we can remain uh, critical settler colonialism and uh while still um having to kind of look at the realities of things i don't think there's i don't think we ever really need white saviors and i think that complex has facilitated a lot of uh detrimental things over mm -hmm. the course of history and uh there's no need for white saviors but you know we can we can be critical of settler colonialism and you know still look at ways that you know Palestine. People have been able to help, you know, these oppressed groups and oppressed peoples and kind of intervene with the situation. Um, but also, once again, be critical of the system that facilitated these things in the first place. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what were you what were you saying before with um, accepting things? before I went on my tangent about um, colonialism in Africa and the wars that it's caused. Accepting things. Can you just remind me just a little bit? Okay. 
So basically, it was it was rooted from people choosing to identify as not black or rather identify as just people uh, leading to colorblind, which led to uh, the discussion um, of some peoples in Africa being convinced that they look different, divide and conquer. But at times, whenever these groups decide to divide to conquer, they mess up and they divide too well and they get caught in the crossfire. I mean, I just think about, you know, the uses of language and using it to benefit, like, benefit these um, more racist mindsets, right? You know, looking at, you don't need to be in a group, you know, you don't need group identity um, with one breath. And oh, yeah. Championing the confederacy of another breath. Think for right? yourself. Think for yourself. And... I think about, you know, how much leeway, um, you know, white people, white people get systemically, you know, as the controlling majority, mm-hmm. um, as the, you know, as the controlling hegemony, right? And that, that thought um, that, you know, there is a need to be a central white thought because white people make the decisions. And so, you know, that generally um, you're represented. You know, your your group your need for group identity. Uh, you have white people; they have these cultural roots that they can trace back. Mm-hmm. Right. Once it like like as you said, they can tell you what part of Ireland they came from. They can tell you where their family came from. And maybe that's not the case for everybody. Mm-hmm. But you know, mm-hmm. I know that it is more common, right? Oh yeah. Not uncommon for that to be the case for white people to be able to tell you their roots. Or Absolutely. some idea about where their roots are, right? And so they don't need the group identity because they have a, I want to say, a more full sense of self-identity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you look at white identity, uh, you look at white nationalism, uh, you know, you look at, you look at white, like, when you look at white people grouping themselves, um, kind of conforming to group identity, um, you get you find these more well you find these hate groups right and mm-hmm. you find this uh hateful thought um and you know that's just i don't know there's there's a difference and i'm kind of struggling to find the words like trying to like get it out of my head um i guess but yeah no like the necessity for group identity is mm-hmm. not as prevalent within the white community, right? Yeah. See, yeah. Go ahead. see, I, I, for, for me personally, right, being, being someone who's heavily associated with freedom, I'm the type of guy who disagrees vehemently with a majority of what conservatives say. But as the podcast listeners know very well, I have the same thoughts about a lot of liberals um, in general, maybe not liberal policies, but the way that liberals discuss things outside of policy, I have problems with. Um, that being said, I am by no means a moderate. And I, uh, even though I don't like ch- people being forced to choose sides, I can tell you which side I will not be on. Um, 
if that makes me on the other side, then so be it. But I most certainly am not on one of those sides. And I'm not going to say it. Everyone knows. However, saying all of this as right Pan-Africanism, I personally have no problem being in a room as as you and I have been places, right? Like go to Ethiopian uh, establishments, eating some good food, some manjeta, some yeshimbrasa, have people all speaking, you know, um, Amharic, right? Somali, what have you, and us speaking English, right? It might be kind of off-putting because whenever we walked in and knew exactly what to order, they probably assumed, ah, oh, they're, they're, they're probably just half Somali, half Ethiopian, you know. It's a good assumption to make. Most people don't just walk in already knowing what they want. No menu needed. But also, I have no problem with this, right? I have no problem with someone speaking Amharic, speaking Somali, not looking anything like me, being from the continent. I have no problem with Asian white people eating African food uh, if they are from like an African nation and they choose to wear a dashiki, that's fine. You were born there. Go ahead, wear it. You've lived in the nation, right? Now there there are some limits. That, you know, you can't you can't run around and start saying the N-word and think that you're not about to get slapped by somebody. Your friend might not slap you, but somebody will eventually. Just let it just just wait. That being said, that's the thing that I feel drives the difference between at least our school of Pan-Africanism and identitarians, um, for those who don't know, white nationalists, um, because we are okay with difference. But our Hotep siblings, I'm going to say brothers and sisters, I, I don't think there are that many Hoteps who identify with other genders. I'm not going to lie to you. Hoteps are generally uh, anti-LGBT and, <laughs> and um, anti-thinking outside of the binary. So I mean, y'all think you're, I think you're wrong there. So uh, you know, uh, the the Hotep siblings out here would would think otherwise. It'd be like, oh, absolutely not. There will be no Christians here. There will be no white people here. By golly, if an Asian seems to step out of line, he's out. You know, Africans, the darker, the better. Light skins, get out. And we can move on to that as well with the colorism that exists in North America and across the world. But you see, we belong to a school of Pan-Africanism, which is open. But I also think, you know, I could, people had this problem with Marcus Garvey, with Fanon, with Ami Cesare and the Negritude movement, you know, Cesare claimed Nigeria, like, oh, I'm descended from Nigeria. And then all fun and games. Okay, we agree with everything you're saying. Say something slightly different from the majority of Nigerians. Oh, oh he's, he's from a colony anyways. We don't have to listen to him. He's from a colony. He's not actually born in Nigeria. We don't have to listen. Marcus Garvey, he's not actually African, you know. Um, Baldwin, James Baldwin, not actually African. We were agreeing with him up until he supported 
something that we don't support, now we we can't have him. He can't be our our they can't be our leader or or one of the people who inundate the 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 new coming, right? The the good news, the gospel of Pan-Africanism. Because we disagreed on one point, now we can bring it back to the fact that they're not native born to Africa, the continent. This thought, um, and I guess it extends outside of protests as well. Um, I've noticed how common it's been where black people that have contributed, you know, made cultural contributions. Um, I don't know. I'll think, for example, uh, Jordan Peele and Get Out, and mm-hmm. how poignant, poignant of a, you know, critique of America and American racism is. I'll think of um, Donald Glover, a.k.a. Childish Gambino, mm-hmm. and his um, shift towards, you know, making music that's more, quote-unquote, woke, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, thinking about that and then hearing this, hearing this thought that it's like, well, their contributions, they, they can't be pro-black, they can't be for black culture, and... Um, and be with white people Mm. and discounting that and so you know getting back to this idea of you know we throw away you know black people as like uh, you know sorry black people will just throw away uh, cultural contributions because people no longer fit into how they define blackness or how they define how they think blackness should be expressed or how blackness uh should be you know Absolutely. To navigate culturally, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that, so, so I have I have a twofold response to this. Firstly, it goes to nationalism and globalism. <clears throat> Usually, conservatives hate globalism because it's the idea that, or it's the assumption that, hey, we're going to get involved in everyone else's business, and we're not going to be here handling our own problems. We're going to give everyone else money and we're going to be deeper in debt. Whereas I feel nationalism has to inherently be globalist, right? You can love your own nation state and not hate China. You can love your own nation state and not hate the nations that existed before us, most likely will exist after us within the nation state known as the United States of America. I am obviously talking about the indigenous populations. You don't have to dislike or hate these people, regardless of your beliefs, because being a global society doesn't mean I just give all my money to Switzerland one day. Heck, these people won't even help their own name. These people won't even give a quarter to homeless people on the street because they'll say, hey, You should have worked harder. You should have pulled yourself up by the bootstraps that you no longer have because you had to sell it to get food. But to be isolationist is the most ignorant idea for any country that believes itself to be a superpower. And I say this 
because Bhutan, a country that we've mentioned by accolades, but probably never by name on the podcast, is a net carbon sink. You know, live a traditional lifestyle. Conservative, right? Conservative in every conceivable way. They conserve the environment. They conserve their culture. Uh, They're not bigots. They don't hate other people. Uh, the, The speakers for Bhutan who've done TED Talks, the king of Bhutan, is only in power because democratically people, whenever the time was up for the royal family to be discontinued, they're like, you know what? It's not even that big of a deal. Uh, so I say specifically in, and people could say, well, Bhutan's small. We have more people in one state than Bhutan has in their whole nation. It's easy enough whenever you don't have cars or you don't have iPhones. It's like, that's the point. Look at how happy on the world metrics these individuals are. And think again, oh, but they don't have cars. All I hear is they don't have debt. They don't have iPhones. Uh, they don't have uh, a problem with potentially getting bullied online or comparing myself to someone else. So I go and buy something. So I drive myself into further debt. They don't have nice clothes. Oh, they wear traditional clothes, which are easily repaired so that they could pass it down to their children. Well, they don't they don't have fun. Uh, au contraire, they do have fun. And they they don't have national parks because they didn't steal land from indigenous people. Their whole country is a park because required in the Constitution is that I believe at least 60% of the country must remain forested. Therefore, it is impossible for them to industrialize in the same way we have. So they have to develop their technology in a way that is environmentally friendly. Net carbon sink, they absorb more carbon from countries surrounding them than they can ever produce in one year. Because of their forests, they absorb carbon from other nations. That is what I see when I hear isolationists. I'm like, cool, we're going to be isolationists. We're going to be like Bhutan. Here's the caveat. Bhutan is not an isolationist nation. That's the caveat. So, in fact, this doesn't happen in isolationism. It only serves for people who think that somehow being separated is good. Because as is evident by the pandemic, uh, a virus doesn't care about your borders. As Ben Shapiro would say, facts don't care about your feelings. Uh, You know, it plain and simple, plain and simple, regardless of what we believe, right? Love your country, love America. That's all fine. However, don't hate other nations simply because you love your own nation. You don't have to hate something in order to prove that you love something. That's it. Back to Pan-Africanism. Khalid? <laughs> um, I agree. I agree. I agree. Um, but I also think about the... I think about how, you know, forceful the jump into integration was. Right? And the... And so, you know, thinking about when, you know, we got the Civil Rights Act and we, and we saw the um, Brown v. Board, you know, ruling 
and it's like, yeah, no, cool, everything's integrated now. Um, you know, there's no real transitionary phase, it's just time to integrate, right? Mm-hmm. And it was integration without real equity, without really addressing um, systemic factors. I don't, don't get me wrong, I think, you know, integration is great for numerous reasons. Um, I wouldn't have met you if uh, integration had not happened. You know, we wouldn't have been able to go to the um, educational institution that we went to. PWIC. <laughs> but um, I also think about, you know, how detrimental this was to certain communities because it forced you um, into situations where your culture was disregarded, mm-hmm. right? And I think about um, Malcolm X and, you know, his philosophy of, you know, the choice to, you know, go into these integrated institutions um, where trying to formulate the thought to get one um i don't know i just think forcing integration um for its positive you know jumping into it without really addressing the systemic inequality that happened sure there were other um things passed that tried to address um other racist things but you know systemic racism wasn't rooted out right we didn't formally deal with a lot of things in place and so saying we're integrated now it is what it is and further creating you know facilitating um more resentment for more resentment for groups that were not yours right Mm -hmm. Uh, or showing um you know giving a chance to see firsthand a bit more of like see from the inside some of the inequalities and having these inequalities still force on you because those weren't addressed properly either. You know, mm-hmm. we're still trying to deal with systemic racism. Um, I'm not saying we should have held off. I just think that there might have been a better way to approach Absolutely. integration. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That may mm-hmm. be controversial. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Well, we we said far more controversial things on the podcast than that. Um, that being said, I think we've, we've talked about the history of Pan-Africanism a little bit. We've talked about the present day of Pan-Africanism and, you know, as optimist, more, more along the lines of realist within defense of Pan-Africanism, I would like to present the audience with a choice. If you've made it this far, you are interested. Congrats. Thank you for that. We will have a bonus episode that comes out at the second regularly scheduled day called In Defense of Afrofuturism, in which we can discuss what Afrofuturism is and the future of Pan-Africanism as a whole. So that concludes this episode of In Defense of Humanity with Khalid Johnson and Asteris Millet, Asteris X, if you like. And that's all. Khalid, do you have anything more? 
rappers do not speak for black people. Yeah. Whenever I hear conservatives, uh, Fox News specifically, say, look, they bring they whenever they question about Republican beliefs, they contact or they have political theorists and and uh, real politicians and and scientists and philosophers talk about our beliefs. Why do they have rappers? It's like, why do you contact the rappers? You you act like Fox News doesn't have the ability to contact Ibram X. Kendi, uh, literally anyone else. You have the marketability, right? He might not want to come on there, but you have the ability and the funds to pay a hotep who hates every white person on this planet to come on your platform. You have the funds to get an onk lover on your show. You do. You choose to contact a rapper because you know they'll be free and they'll probably say something out of pocket. Plain and simple. They don't speak for us. They don't they speak do for me. Speak for all black people. Not I I'd say they don't they, they barely speak for themselves. Just because Lil Wayne and Ice Cube can pop out here and uh try to strike up a platinum plus plan does not mean they speak for us. They don't. They don't. Indeed. Uh, stop giving these people this kind of power and this ability to believe that they do. Stop it. They don't speak for all of us. It they, it don't go down like that. Um Streets, do you have final thoughts? Uh that pretty much covers my final thoughts. Hey, if you like what we're doing here, uh, you can go on Anchor, our host, and leave us an audio message, and we'll include it in our next show. If you do like it, if you like it even more, you could hop on our Patreon, patreon.com slash IDO, I-D-O-H, to get access to In Defense of Time, which is the after show, where we get a little bit more provocative. If that's possible, find out. Additionally, we're on Twitter. We're not doing too hot on Twitter because I control the page and I'm not very active. So uh, give me a reason to be active. Tweet at me. Tweet at us. Twitter.com slash IDO underscore pod. I-D-O-H underscore P-O-D. Instagram. IDO. I-D-O-H underscore P-O-D. IDO pod as well. In Defense of Humanity podcast. If you're listening, you already listened to us on one of your podcasting platforms. Support us. Uh, we still have the fund, In Defense of Humanity, Friends of In Defense of Humanity Fund, where we will give 60% of the donations to our guests. 40% goes to increase the audio of the show. As you can hear, we're not doing too hot in that category. Moreover, we're still in contact with Christian Dasher about getting some Vidalia onions out to the people that's right i don't forget those are my final thoughts that was a lot but that that's it take us out khalid and thanks for listening and we'll see you guys well you'll hear us next time <laughs>